Because, yeah, I think we were saying the last time um, <laughs> last time we saw each other, you were, you were back at mine and I was hurriedly getting back, coming back from work because uh, <laughs> you were essentially watching a live sex show. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking to my girlfriend about that this morning. Uh, she's buying a new flat. And I was saying that you definitely don't want to be in a situation because her, her new flat window will look out onto like a main road. And I was explaining the situation to, to her saying the last time I was around at your house, uh, that was happening. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was so funny. And yeah, just to confirm it was a, a neighbour, you know, not nothing in my flat, thank you. <laughs> yeah, definitely not in your flat. <laughs> no. Um, right, mate, so yeah, just, do you want to give us a little brief background on um, how you kind of started off in your career? Uh, yeah, so well, started out at uh, Northumbria University studying business economics. Yeah. And then whilst I was studying, I went on to do a placement year at BMW head office yeah. in the media as a media events assistant in the corporate communications department. So from there, I then kind of learned mainly how to get into organizing and executing events. But back then, obviously, because it was for BMW, we, our main role was to um, launch the cars to the UK uh, journalists. So my role was basically um, organizing and creating like drive days across Europe for the journalists to be flown out to um, specific hotels or points and then we give them the cars and they could then test them and then they write up about them after that. So then I did that for a year, went back to university, finished my degree. Um, after my degree, came back home and then started out a, it was, I was trying to stay within the events side of things, but wanted to more go down the, um, not, not the, uh, the corporate world. I wanted to start putting on festivals for uh, music festivals and whatnot. So then came up with an idea to create a website that in essence would help um, unsigned musicians to be able to create a website, like a micro website. So similar to like Facebook, something they could quite easily upload uh, pictures, videos, uh, their music, um, clothing or merchandise or whatever. And then that, mm -hmm. through that, uh, they could then enter into a like well we mainly marketed it to create um smaller like unsigned music charts across the uk regionally and then we, we were up we were creating that website for a couple of years <clears throat> and then but between that we we started to do the music festivals um and i believe well yeah one of the guys that got on before mike johnson we put on like music stages for him at one of his uh, food festivals we did other ones around yorkshire and then through that, then decided that I wanted to also get into the uh, doing bars at music festivals. So then uh, back in 2018, started doing that. There was uh, one in York called Adolescent, did a uh, bar for them, and then started getting into the pride scene as well. So we did York Pride bars as well. When you, but, then when you say doing a bar, is that like, you know, like very much sort of an event? Like yeah, a, so it's just... Bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So create like uh, we'll uh, bring all the infrastructure, uh, the Arctic lorries with um, like refrigeration in there, set up the beer lines, and then like basically put on a mobile bar for them. But because when you're talking these festivals, you, 
for instance, at York Pride, there was about 12,000 people supposed to be there on the day. So they're pretty big bars. Adolescent, I think there's about five or 6,000 people there. What's um, where what's the Adolescent? Uh, it's just a smaller, it was a smaller music festival that um, start, we were the first year that uh, we did the bar for them in their first year. Right. And then they were going to carry on growing and growing it and getting bigger and bigger. Unfortunately, in 2019, on the morning that the festival was supposed to happen, the, um, the safety officer from the York Council basically said that he wasn't happy with the, uh, the weather that day. It was a bit of a blustery day, so they had to cancel it on the morning of, of the festival. Right. So it's since then, and then obviously this year they've got COVID, so it's not happened again. So it's so in 2018 they were they started. It was a really good festival. They had really good feedback. It's kind of oversubscribed in a way because they were targeting it at um, the more family friendly kind of thing and kept the ticket price down. So there was a lot of people there, and then they they had quite big plans to um, increase it year on year, but unfortunately, yeah, they didn't they weren't able to because of everything that happened but yeah but then um so in between doing the music side of music festivals i was also one of the main things i got involved in was spark york so spark york it's um it's basically a container village similar to box park and pop brixton in london yeah and and uh, one of the lads that i went to university with he started it with another um chap who went to nottingham university and uh, from an early from an early stage, I was involved in helping um, do various bits for them before it was even um, it, whilst it was a pipe dream kind of thing. Yeah. And then when uh, everything materialised, they then asked me to put on the um, the launch event, the music day. So on the fourth of May, yeah, that was fourth of May, two thousand eighteen. Um, I put on the launch event, which was about 20 different artists across the day that were supposed to be playing. Right. Um, and then from putting on the uh, music day for them, they then asked me to become the general manager. So since around about June, I was employed through Spark as the general manager of the whole site. So it was basically the, the overall running of the site as well as helping out with uh, events and marketing. So up until up until that point, were you doing the um, the bars and the music side of things at the same time, or were they? Yeah, I mean, they were because because they're also um, seasonal. Yeah, I, I was always having to have another job in between, and yeah. Spark basically fit all the um, ticked all the boxes basically because it it allowed us to carry on. Well, allowed myself to carry on doing the event side and music side of things. Um, whilst the festival season wasn't really there anymore. And uh, it was probably the, like, the most, well, how can you say it? Like, the newest thing to come to York, and it was definitely not what York is normally known for, something that's quite modern and, and like, contemporary. So it was a good thing to be involved with, and there was always going to be a lot of things going on. So we we, we, we got to put on things like you know Jazzy Jeff from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh yeah. We uh, put on yeah he was he came down and we organised uh, uh, you know the size shoe shop. Yeah yeah. So th- they were opening a new store in York. So then we got Jazzy Jeff to come down and DJ uh, at Spark to promote the new sh- uh, shoe shop opening. Oh, okay. Like lo- loads of different things like that. 
uh, yeah, it was quite it was quite an interesting time working for Spark. Um, so then through that working for Spark, I I always wanted to have my own business there um, before they offered me a job. Um, but I, I believe that at that time working for Spark uh, would have been a better opportunity for me to basically put my stamp on helping uh, the guys that uh, created it to begin with. And then about around about Christmas time of 2018, um, turned out that one of the units was uh, going to become available. So I put in an application to then operate the bar rather than working for Spark. So from March of 2019, that's when I opened the first bar at Spark. Um, and then since then, it's just grown and grown. And now we've got three well, there's three bars on the top floor that I'm uh, owner or part owner of as well. And then, so I guess when you um, decided to kind of go into the like alcohol side of things as well as the yeah. music side of things, how how did you get in? Like, how did you get into that, or is that something you knew about already? Um, I knew about it already because I well, my parents run York Sports Club, right. So they've been involved in that kind of scene for years and they started doing music festivals at the sports club before I, um, well, they, they were, they would hire out the, the land to um, different promoters who would then put on festivals. But uh, quite a lot of the time on noon enough all the time, the, the sports club would be the ones putting on the bars. Right. So I got, I built a relationship with the, um, with the contractors or the, um, the suppliers that they would use at the festivals at, at their place and then gradually got into it that way. So yeah, even before I'd started to do my own festivals, I was, I was involved with various ones through the club. Um, but also, I mean, sometimes I would actually work at bigger festivals like um, Kendall calling and festival and stuff like that, just to get a grasp on. So that I used to, uh, once volunteered for Oxfam, to work at a festival that was and Kendall calling I can't remember how we got the job but we were just working at various festivals so that from a young age I've always been interested in working at music festivals and yeah, yeah. putting on bars at them so nice all right so so I guess um you how long were you general manager at Spark for then did you say uh it was only about seven months I'd say in the end right seven or eight months basically because it's as soon as the opportunity for the bar came up um i i started to build that so the the previous tenant that was in it they left and then so from about middle of january i'd say i started to build the bar the bahamian bar um and then opened yeah at, at the start of march nice so was it was, is this the bahamian bar quite a small Model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's only a twenty foot container, so it's pretty small. But then you've got a terrace area outside as well, right? Um, and then, uh, so I mean, when when I was given the bar, it was just basically a, a, an empty shell. So it was um, cladding on the not cladding, sorry, insulation within the container, and then that had uh, like chipboard put on inside yeah. and then from there I then had to create everything else so yeah it took it probably took about six weeks I think to build everything obviously a lot of the, it would it could have been quicker but a lot of the time that we were waiting on extra things being done and and uh 
and then there was the outside area to do as well. So my main aim for the bar was to have a bit of a music theme to the bar. So right. if you would, if you were to come to the bar, you could see that it's all like uh, there's abstract art on the walls, which basically resembles uh, the Clifford's Tower, which you can see from my um, like the terrace area. And then I've used a 1930s Velma piano as my front bar. Um, converted drum symbols into light fixtures. Uh, drums are used as tables outside. So there's quite a bit of a music theme running throughout. And all that, all those small things of trying to recycle all the That's what. That sounds sick. So did you do all that sort of stuff yourself, or did you just like get loads of mates in and give your hand, or how did you go about it? Uh, my a couple of bits. My my cousin, he is a um, furniture designer, but he makes some crazy stuff to uh, do work for some like princes in the Middle East, creating like massive helicopter beds and Aston Martin beds and stuff. So when I came to him with the piano, yeah, I came to him with the piano and I said, can you just do these extra like modifications? It was a bit of a, bit of a doddle for him. So he, he did the piano with his friend, Daniel. Where did the piano come um, from? Do you just like... So I messaged a load of different uh, music studios and p- people that I knew that would have a load of spare instruments hanging around. Right. And there's a, a local music studio in New York called The White Rooms. And the owner, Dan, said that I could go and get some of the symbols for the light fixtures. And it was only when I was there that he went, oh, do you want a piano? And I was like, well, yeah, I do. I'm actually... And funnily enough, I was I was already going to be using a piano as my bar, but I've I had a piano at home that was really just sat there that I could have used, and then he showed me this piano that he said it'd been sat there for years. He only ever really needed it in case somebody wanted like a a deep sound at the end of a song or a track, and he just like you like take the front of the piano off and push his fingers across the um the fret, so then so then it make like vroom, like like noise on yeah. the piano. And he said, and he said, he didn't think he ever actually used it once. So then he took the front off, and I realised that it was like a gold. I don't even know if it's the correct terminology for it, but there's like a gold harp inside, and uh, it was just beautiful piano. So then I took that, and yeah, it's just it's worked really well. I'll have to send you a picture of it so you can see what I mean. But um, yeah, 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 it was a bit of a bit of luck really because the one the piano that I had was nowhere near as nice as the one that he gave me yeah yeah but yeah so then some of the the drums and the tip and the the drums and the the cymbals I bought off a guy from Leeds who just has a like he's, he's got a shipping container just full of drums and he's a bit of a, a, a second-hand drum dealer <laughs> sounds a bit weird but <laughs> but yeah so there's there's Bits and bats, and my mate, who's an electrician, one of my best mates, Jacob, he was the one who he took the he, t- he took some conduit and bent it around, so then the symbols would look like uh, light fixtures. And it's only like the amount of people that don't even realise that it is a symbol until you tell them. Ah, okay. Um, mm. So yeah, the, yeah the, it does look really good. And then when it came to kind of um, opening stuff, did you have to recruit staff straight away, or how did? It- to begin with, I I just opened it on myself because it was a quiet period. But as soon as I think it was it within the first or second week, um, one of the lads who worked for Spark, his brother came in and started talking to me, 
and uh, seemed like a really nice lad. And the funniest thing, the one thing that I remember him pointing for was because of his laugh. Huh. He, had the, he had the craziest laugh that I'd ever heard. So we got along, offered him a job pretty quickly. He was already working in hospitality. He was working for uh, one of the more successful cafes that's in York, and he wasn't really enjoying it there. So then he came and worked for me. And then one of my friends who was working, uh, sorry, he was acting down in London. He was having to move back up north and was going to start uh, trying to get into stuff up north. And uh, when he moved back up, he then was part of the team as well. And then gradually over time, there's been the odd person that have, have moved in as well to work because from, well, from the end of January this year, uh, that's when I extended the Bohemian into the other end of the container because the container is a 40-foot container. And yeah. uh, I initially only took on the first 20-foot. So the other the other side of the container was uh, a bar, like a cocktail bar, but he left to open up a, um axe-throwing bar in the, in the An city centre. throwing bar? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so uh, it's like a cocktail bar. Um, his his was a cocktail bar, and then he opened this accident bar in the city centre. It's basically, I think they've got them in Manchester. Um, but but yeah, at the time, I have heard of it. Now you say that actually. Yeah, this it's basically it's basically uh, axe throwing yeah, at a target. Yeah. But, <laughs> But he hoped to uh, open it as like a bit of an eatery and cocktail bar as well. But obviously, there's always going to be a bit of complications when it comes to giving someone a license when you're also giving them an axe yeah. to throw it aboard. <laughs> and it will probably be full of stag do's. But yeah, he um, yeah, so he left to open the axe throwing bar. So then for a while, the, the container behind me was empty. Right. And I'd been toying with opening it for some time. Um, and then finally decided that I was going to just go for it, open it up and uh, extend the Bohemian, but not, it's the same concept. I opened it up and, and converted it into like a ski lodge kind of vibe, so like an apparatus ski bar. Right. And that's and that was when I then had to take on more staff. So, yeah, it was... Um, so what was that called? A bit of, that's Shack 360. Okay. So, like, yeah, um, that's, uh, wasn't there a bar in the Alps called? But uh, it was called, yeah, it's off. That's that's where I got the uh, okay, yeah, inspiration yeah, yeah. from. It was bar 360 in Vit Valterraine, somewhere like that, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, but yeah, so um, that's done out like, yeah, like a, a bit of a ski lodge, so it's all wooden inside, and then I've put a load of um skis and neon signs and a bit another big like mural on one of the sides it's uh it was oh god what was i can't even remember the name of the lake that i got it from but there's a lake in canada and uh i got this art this local artist to come and do a big mural of it and it's got a mountain in the background it's pretty good yeah and then from that for the outdoor bit there i've um I've used a load of more um, ski gear to create benches and tables and whatnot for that side. And yeah. while all this is going on, um, did you kind of like stop being stopped in your role as general manager? Is that yeah, yeah. So as soon as, as soon as I took on the bar, 
started um, uh, like building the bar. I, I think I think I stopped in January, December or January. I stopped working for Spark and then started building the bar full time. So for for a short while, I was technically without work until until the bar actually opened up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And I guess the, G, the GM job itself, was that just kind of like a real just like coordination type of role or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was working with the, the two directors and then there was a, a couple of staff. So at the time there was, um, there was an events, um, a lady in events, someone in marketing, a caretaker, and then like, uh, like just general staff that would work there on the evenings and whatnot. Um, so we all we all had various different roles, but as general manager, I kind of just worked alongside everyone, and just um, was bringing all the ideas together, basically. Yeah, I mean one one of the things that to begin with was like working on the website side, and but yeah, just basically help like being part of everything, like the events and the marketing and digital. And so, is it just the two two bars that you got at the minute? Uh, so there's the two there's the two bars the Shack Three Sixteen the Bohemian and like when we opened well when I opened Shack Three Sixty we also opened up the the main bar so the there's the main bar at Spark was previously owned by a local company called Pivavar and uh, they uh, they just well they they left Spark and we took it on like myself and. Uh, the two directors of Spark. So we've now got the the main bar upstairs, which is like the main beer bar, the Bohemian and Chat Three Sixty. At the moment, we still haven't actually come up with a name for the for the new bar. We don't know whether we're going to keep it the same name, which was Piccadilly Tap, right? Or okay. not. Um, but yeah, I mean, because because we're still we're still deciding what to do with that bar. We're not, we're not hundred percent on the name or the direction that we're going down, but we're, we're definitely going to keep it uh, like as the main beer draft bar. Yeah. It seems to be the, the most, um, I mean, it's uh, spark has probably the biggest uh, terrace area, like the beer terrace area, garden terrace area in York, I'd say. And uh, it does pull in some big numbers. So, like when when there's some big sporting events on and stuff like that, you, you could see at least 500 people on site. And the yeah. place is packed, and it's probably the most lively place in York to be, really. Yeah. So, we're, so we're, uh, it's it's hard to try and well, what we're trying to do is keep the bars kind of with a separate um, core value. So, like the main bar would be the the main place to get your beers from. And then the Bohemian is a bit of both, but uh, focusing on cocktails and and some right. more commercial products. Whereas at the main beer bar, we, we we've got ten lines on, so we'll change the, the lines up quite frequently. So yeah. you'll, you'll have like the three main like we've got a cider and two lagers or a pilsner and a lager that'll always be there. And then the other seven lines, we kind of are all basically guest lines that we change up all the time. Yeah. So, but because we're in the middle of the transition between deciding what we want to do with that one, we still, yeah, still, still a few bits. I mean, today there's a graffiti artist in today that's going to be spraying the front of the bar just to um, give it a bit of a new look and a bit of a new identity. Sick. So, how does it um, how does it generally work in terms of the 
like concessions or whatever you call them, you know, like businesses within Spark? Is it, so obviously, you know, is it like a, do, they, do you give a percentage to your takings to Spark or is it a rental thing or? Yeah, no, there's, there's a base rent and then, um, then there's also a commission if you hit a specific turnover. So quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of these similar concepts, they, they're using just a, uh, like a commission turnover because it allows everyone to basically predict their cash flow quite easily. And then yeah. if you, so if you know that, let's say for instance, 15% of your turnover is always going to be your rent. It's a lot easier for a startup business like ourselves to um, do cost projections because before, like, if we were to go into any other spot like in town and you've just got like your your base rent is I don't know three thousand pounds a month. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot harder for a startup business to well succeed in that in that way. I believe anyway because you. Um, Three thousand pound might be fifty percent of your turnover a month. Yeah, it's at Spark. If if you're just doing it a, a lower base rate and then if like a fifteen percent commission, you can always kind of you always know that there's always going to be that proportion of your turnover that's going to be given away as rent. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so at Spark it is, and I believe at most of the container parks, it's it's just done on a commission rate basis, really. Yeah. So I guess it just kind of reduces your the fixed costs essentially for yeah 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 and it it takes away any um uncertainties for us because that um the commission will include everything it's not just the rent it's the electric the water the wi-fi uh general upkeep of the site security till systems everything so it can it, it just simplifies everything for a startup business being able just to walk into it and not have to worry about all these other bits yeah and spark spark are the ones who control all of the like general upkeep of the site we're simply there to have our business space and and provide well obviously the products and services that we do and how do they generally choose the businesses that they have within within spark because they just um well i know so because because when i was involved in spark from the get-go i think there was well uh, there was i, th- I think there was a it was well oversubscribed so there was initially about 22 businesses um that they wanted to choose and i think off the top of my head it was 70 to 100 businesses that applied right yeah and um it was um, just go like your business plan basically. So Spark will they'll put they'd put like a form online just saying whether you want if you're wanting to trade at Spark, just fill out these questions and then from there, um one of the directors or both the directors, Tom and Sam, they'd then invite the business in to have like an informal chat, basically understand the business concept a bit more. Um and it gives the well the the person that's putting the business proposal in a bit of a chance to actually show them the products that they're selling as well yeah and then from there if if they like think that it's a good fit for the for the site um, then they'll then ask them to provide a more detailed business proposal and one of obviously one of the main things about spark is it's helping startups get a place and with a low fixed cost and then they can move on into a into more of like a brick and mortar premises but in order for people to do that they need to limit competition so that they would never really ask or they would never invite 
um, a business to come onto site that is in direct competition with someone who's already yeah. on site. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things that will um, decide whether the tenant proposed tenant is good for the site or not. Um, but yeah, mainly it comes down to the business proposal, the products and services that they'll actually be selling, and whether they're in direct competition with someone that's already on site. Yeah, yeah. All right, man. Nice. So, um, I guess up to this stage, what what would you say? Um, I guess like think probably thinking um, post Corona, PC. Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> yeah. what were your like biggest like challenges along the way, um, in, when it comes to setting up the the individual businesses? Are they run as individual businesses, or do you just run it as one? Um, no. Yes. So, well, the, I set up the Bohemian Bar first. So. I mean, luckily, because I'd done the Adolescent Festival, I had a bit of money behind me to um, to use to actually get the place up and running. So I would say normally, in, in, in any circumstance, it would be the initial investment. Mm. Um, but as yeah, luckily, I'd, I'd done that uh, festival, so I had a bit of money behind me that allowed me to start it up. Um, Probably one of the, for, for myself, the, the hardest challenge was actually trying to uh, zone in on the direction of the bar that I was wanting to go down because, because when, you, when you're starting any business, you've obviously you've got so many different ideas yeah. uh, on, your, on your mind maps or however you, however you would be planning your own business plan. That trying to, to, to like zone in on your, your key, key aspects of what you want your business to be in you and the way that you want it to go, the direction you want it to go. That was a, that was a hard grasp or a hard challenge because, because I was limited to such a small space. Yeah. All my ideas were pretty big. I had big ideas of doing like, like music events and whatnot. But when you're limited to a 20 foot container and probably a, I don't know, 800 square foot garden terrace, it's, there's not much you can do in that. So it was trying to make sure that everything that I was, I was trying to achieve was capable in the, uh, in the space that I actually had. Um, and then, then as with that, I suppose comes, um, I wouldn't say it was a challenge again. It's just more having the, the, the right decisions. Cause, because when you, when I was starting the bar, you've got all these different suppliers and, and people, that are coming to you with proposals because they obviously want to win your business. Yeah. Um, so then it was it was it was coming up with the decision of choosing the right um, supply like suppliers or manufacturers of beer, gin, spirits, whoever it is, um, and making sure that you're always actually coming up with the right decision on who's going to not only who's going to give you the best um, support. But also, who's also got the the best product plans and their own brand guidelines and the ethos of the companies? Because obviously, you only want to be aligning yourself with companies that you believe, yeah, um, to be in line with your own um, key factors. So, uh, I would say, yeah, probably those two. I'm trying to think what else. And in terms, um, when you're coming up with the. Um, the kind of concepts, how did you, how did you narrow it down in the end? Was it kind of, did you have say five different ideas and then you were like, this one, this one. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I always wanted to keep it in line with music. Um, so I had various, various ideas of what, 
what I was trying to achieve aesthetically and also um, what kind of product offerings we were going to give. The reason that I went down the piano route was funnily enough because at the time, I mean, it was it been out for a while, but the Bohemian Rhapsody film yeah. about Queen. Mm. Um, and obviously the most, probably the most iconic gig they ever did was the Live Aid gig and when he uh, opens up on the piano. So I think it was just inspiration that came through watching that. And also that's my uh, favourite live performance. Obviously I wasn't there to see it, but um, <laughs> after watching it, after watching it on YouTube videos, I'd say that's my favourite live performance of all time. So yeah. it was just yeah, a mix of... Um, inspiration and what i love so like the inspiration for the for the ski bar obviously because i was at, uh, in the ski team at union it was one of our favorite pastimes and just uh, skiing was a big part of my life it was always obvious to me to try and keep um grown businesses down the lines that i'm most passionate about i was gonna say do, do you think that that's kind of like um you've obviously done things you know say like music skiing like clearly just yeah it's like two of your passions. Do you think that that in itself like creates you, means that you're more kind of like almost integrated into the business and more motivated? In that yeah, sense? definitely, definitely. I think um, ideas come a lot easier as well if if it's linked with something that you're passionate about. Um, because when I so for, when when we were doing the website side of things, it was hard for me to come up with ideas that I believed would be beneficial for the company when um for, for the music side sorry um of the website that when i've never really had much of a passion towards e-commerce or digital yeah. whereas when it when it, when it was the hospitality side and, and linking it with the uh, the music or the skiing side for the bars it, it just everything just came so much more natural to me and um yeah i think unless you've got a passion unless you link your business with a passion it is extremely hard to keep yourself motivated and going day in day out and actually make a success of it. And without, without there being a passion there, I think during the hard times, it's so easy to just let yourself get into a bit of a slump and, yeah. and, um, and be completely demotivated by it. And, and sometimes like let, let the downtimes beat you rather than bringing yeah. yourself up and like, and, and coming, um, yeah. So I definitely, yeah, definitely say passion. You have to have a passion towards your, uh, towards something that's linked with the business. Yeah, and I guess taking it back to what you said about um, decision making as well. Like, how how do you think you've gone about that? And because I always kind of try and think that like um, there's no like right or wrong when you're making decisions. I try and think mm. that like just try and have that mindset because you know anyone anyone that's in the position that has to make those decisions. You've just got yeah. to make, you've just got to have, using the information that you've got at the time, you've got to yeah. kind of go with what, what seems best at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, initially, because obviously I started up the, the bars by myself and did the music uh, festival and events mainly by myself, I all the decision making was kind of on my own head. And I quickly realized that if I'm making all the decisions by myself and not, not give, getting any advice from anyone else, whether they're involved in the business or not, you soon can lose yourself. And if one of your decisions doesn't turn out to be the right one, you've got no one there to kind of um, 
give you advice. So as a, a couple of times when I started out the um, the bars or the music festivals, and I was making the decision without actually running it by anyone first, and it went wrong. Uh, that I was finding it a lot more difficult. So then I soon realised before actually making a decision, even though that I'm the sole um, owner of these bars, it's best to run ideas definitely by a, a, a close support group first. Yeah. And then the amount of times that I've thought of, of an idea, uh, ran it by someone, and then they've been like, actually, have you thought of it going down this angle instead? And yeah. it turning out to be a much better um, decision. Especially when it came to things that I wasn't um, as clued upon, because you've always got these grand ideas as as someone who's trying to create their own business. But when it comes, like the smallest of things, when it comes to uh, actually building the bar, because I've got zero knowledge of carpentry or joinery work, I was having coming up with all these crazy ideas, and then the joiner or, or the person that's actually um, building stuff about well you could just do this this is much cheaper much simpler yeah, yeah. it'll probably give you better results so so i think yeah i think the key thing for me whilst yeah making most of my decisions or i learn anyway was not just rushing into it and thinking that my way is the best or you've always got to run your ideas by friends colleagues or whoever family just to because you're you're, you're never going to come up with the, the best ideas yourself Although you think you will, as you say, you always think, oh, this is the, 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 the most obvious and the best route to go down. Turns out, majority of the time, there'll definitely be ways that you can actually improve it with other people's opinions and advice. Yeah, and for, and for you, have you got like certain people that you go to, that kind of, let's say, support system? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've got, um, with my family running the sports club, which is heavily events led, um, my girlfriend, she's in like corporate world and obviously all the, all the other businesses that are actually on site at Spark, because we're basically a community of startups and, and entrepreneurs. It's, it's so easy just to think of some run down to the next business who's below you or opposite you, or even go to the owners of Spark and be like, look, I've got this idea. Do you think it's good? Shall we implement it? Will it benefit me as a business, but also the overall community of Spark? Yeah. And uh, will other businesses in the immediate um, like location actually benefit from it as well? Because um, that's the, one of the good things about Spark is because you. I mean, I'd probably say the the average age of people who have been businesses on site is probably around twenty five to twenty six. Right, so it's yeah. all young entrepreneurs who are trying to succeed in life and, and trying out new things. Um, so, yeah, so it's a good close network of people, family, friends, and also the other business owners and, and spark owners themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's sick. So I guess moving into the current times, how, how have you um, been able to cope with the, the old pandemic? Um, initially... Because, as I said, that we're a bit of a community space, um, Spark took the uh, government's advice to close as soon as, as soon as, uh, well, when was it? It's around the 14th or 15th of March. So before we were even told we had to close, yeah, Spark, Spark took the decision that we should close because, because we're a community um, event space. It, it wouldn't seem right for us to carry on operating knowing that the, the coronavirus is starting to spread. So we, we closed before um, 
and then throughout April, none of us were were allowed on site um, because Spark was closed completely. It was only around the start of May that we uh, we started to operate a delivery service. Right. So uh, yeah, so we used in all, like all the food, food and drinks. Well, most of the food and drinks uh, businesses on Spark. We all got delivery profiles, and then we used a local taxi firm to deliver um, for us, rather than using the cyclists. Because using the taxi firm, we uh, we found that obviously a lot of the taxi drivers in York were unable to work now because of this, and it meant yeah. that they were coming into contact with anyone else they could get out to work and even if they were more high risk because they were simply um dealing with what only one colleague from spark and then dropping it on the doorstep of the the person the customer um they could come out to work as well so yeah we chose to use fleetways taxes um and it's it's been pretty well i mean it's worked well for majority obviously delivering alcohol to people it's a bit of a bit of a niche market uh, and yeah. it's quite hard when it comes because obviously there are products available at supermarkets that people could get nowadays like um there's a lot more option isn't there for um like your craft ales and yeah. whatnot so one of the ways that we uh, that i was trying to um diversify around that and become a bit more of a unique selling point was to offer cocktail kits and to d- to deliver draft beer. I mean, I, th- I don't know if I'm just speaking for myself here, but I, d- I can't say that a can or a bottle will ever taste as nice as, as getting a pint from a proper draft dispense system. So we, uh, funnily enough, came up with an idea to dispense into milk bottles that had uh, the security caps on them yeah, yeah yeah so so there was a local there's a local dairy farm that installed a vending machine in their in the village near me and uh, she had a load of milk bottles that she could sell to me um, because they rather than people coming to the dairy farm to get the milk they put this vending machine in the middle of the village and they'd fill up this vending machine with milk <laughs> so, so heard about it in the local press and then contacted the dairy farm owners and then thankfully they had a load spare that they could um, sell to me so start checked it out and the concept worked so we uh, we started dispensing the draft beer into these one liter milk milk bottles and delivering them through delivery and then alongside that as i said we um I was creating cocktail kits. So rather than having to go to the supermarket and buy all these separate ingredients and to make one cocktail, if you're only having a couple of them, it could cost you like 80 pound upwards if you're having to buy all those different spirits and syrups and and, uh, mixes and whatnot. So I created um, little cocktail kits where you could create them at your own home and it would come with everything that you would need. So started out with... um, Aperol spritz kit, espresso martini, uh, long passion fruit martini, a uh, raspberry rosemary spritz, and a mojito. So yeah. all like pretty much, well, some of the most popular cocktails that normally you wouldn't be able to make at home yeah. unless you had all, all the different syrups and, and everything. So they worked really well as well. We got a big push from like a, a local um, online magazine and an online news outlet. Um, 
a small community radio also did a piece on us as well. And then it just gradually built and built. So we've done pretty well out of it. It's kept us afloat and it's kept us in people's eyes for when we actually do open again. Um, hopefully people will have been chatting about the fact that they've been doing the cocktail kit and getting beer from us during lockdown. So is that still ongoing, is it? Yeah, it's still ongoing. So Thursday through Saturday, we're doing it from uh, five till nine. Um, so I've got a delivery profile. It's under the Bohemian Tap Room. And I also sell some of my products through various other outlets on, on Spark. So there's Shori, which is a Japanese fusion restaurant. They have um, a couple of my beers on there. Uh, right. Brad Pizza Shop, they have some drinks on there. Same as uh, an Italian pasta place called Aroma and a, a Colombian street food um, shop called Tricolor. So they all, because we're all on the same commercial site, um, if an order comes through through their profile, I'll create the drinks for them and then it'll get delivered through uh, when the food comes as well. So right. it's a good community aspect as well there because uh, we're helping each other get more business in really. So it's pretty pretty good that way. And then are you still doing it with the taxi service? Yeah, yeah, it's all still with the taxi service, yeah. <laughs> People just order on delivery but then it comes in a taxi? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so we, we have started the... Uh, collection now things are easing off a bit um people yeah. can come and collect as well now but when we initially started it it was purely through um taxi service nice and i guess what what does it look like for you guys going forward obviously it's quite a, a big kind of event space i guess um, yeah uh, i mean at the moment we've got a, a canopy roof over the whole entire site so we're hoping for that to be taken down soon um and then basically operate as a beer garden and and like uh, food 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 uh, food hall basically um we have plans to because it's over two floors so it's quite easy for us to operate the one-way system and actually make sure that everyone's sitting with a with a good amount of space between each. yeah because I, I guess um you probably had an advantage being having that sort of outdoor space actually thinking about it aren't you because You've got well, as in you've got such an advantage over your traditional indoor bar or restaurant if you've got that more more of an outdoor space. There's uh, there's so much open space for and, it, and we can quite easily create routes around the terrace areas, and also in a way um, having the one way system it will it will kind of force customers to naturally walk around the whole of the site as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it it could potentially be beneficial for some of the businesses that um, naturally don't get as much footfall simply just because of the way people walk around the site. Um, we've got the, the main entrance is towards, is towards uh, well, closer towards town. So that's the way that most people come in. And then we're just going to create a one-way system that naturally flows all the way through the site. And uh, hopefully, because we are... Probably, yeah, as I said, we are probably the biggest beer garden in York. Um, I expect it, we will be pretty busy from the outset because we'll, uh, there's definitely a lot to offer by coming to Spark because you've got the, there's, there's the three bars that we have upstairs. There's another bar downstairs. There's so much different food and drink offerings available that you can realistically get anything that you want for, for like family, friends or coming in with your household or meeting up with uh, your pals from a different house. Um, 
kind of got everything that anyone can ask for, really. Yeah, I mean, I think you hadn't actually thought about it in terms of those sorts of sort of spaces are probably a huge advantage going forward. I mean, obviously, compared to your traditional restaurant or bar, like indoor restaurant or bar, um, yeah, because you know you're encouraged to meet in the in the outdoors, aren't you? So, um, yeah, I guess you guys might be at a, a huge advantage. So. Yeah, I mean, we will we will be if if the weather stays nice. I mean, yeah. I'm currently looking outside and all I can see is grey cloud. Not it's not raining, which is good, but um, but yeah, it's, it's, if it starts raining and we're all outdoors, and I, I think it doesn't really matter that there's coronavirus because no one would be coming anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. All right. So, what's um? I guess what's Obviously, this coronavirus is kind of stopping you doing anything, but is there anything else that you had on the horizon that you have on the horizon in terms of or, or where you want to take the business or anything like that? Um, so, I, I mean, this summer I'd, I'd had lined up to do more festivals as well. That's, I was still um, sticking down the mobile bar services side. So my plan is to get back into the music side of festivals as well. Um, I'm currently trying to pull together something for a firework display, a bonfire event on the right. 5th of November. Um, but my, my only worry is, obviously, with everything going on still, whether uh, things will be relaxed enough by then to actually hold something uh, on a big enough scale. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the, the future plans is to get back into actually doing more music, music events and pushing that side. Um, and also, hopefully get down into an actual premises outside of spark right whether that be in york or a different city yet i'm not too sure um my brother's coming back from australia himself he's been living out there for the past three or four years and uh he's looking to hopefully well we're we're in the middle of speaking about ideas of floating around like seeing if we'd want to open somewhere together or um there's one of the businesses on uh, spark at the moment shorry uh, the owner danny myself and him we we spoke about opening um uh, a place together as well so there's uh, there's a few things that are on the horizon but it's yeah. just trying to zone in on exactly what's best right now but yeah definitely getting back into the music festival side and looking to um, expand into different premises for yeah. bars or restaurants. That's the main main goal, really. Because have you been able to, have you been doing event stuff as, alongside when you've been in Spark still? Or? Yeah, yeah. So I, I hold weekly, um, uh, open. well, we call it open mic, but it's not open mic. Um, so it's called, it was called audio plants. I'd, uh, linked up with, um, like a musical collective kind of artistic group and they come in, they would film every Tuesday. We would have, um, people come in and, and play on the garden terrace that, yeah. And they'd, they'd film it and then mark it to the local musicians as well. So we were doing a weekly music event. I'd also um, organized a few other events as well alongside Spark. Um, I hadn't really done anything outside of Spark for a while, um, but that's why I want to try to get back into the music side of, of doing doing a few bits and um, like festivals and gigs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Sick, man. All sounds, um, all sounds interesting stuff. Yeah. 
um, yeah, I hope, I hope you can um, get back up and running sometime soon. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, the plan is hopefully the 4th of July. Fingers crossed. Right, yeah, yeah. We'll have the, yeah, we'll have the roof off. Um, yeah, the one-way system in, two-meter gaps and everything like that, and was fingers crossed that it'll, it'll all take place and we won't be hit with a second wave. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. Which is, it's just, yeah, it's just going to be very... It's going to be very weird because, I mean, the things that we've got planned, it's it's thing, like the small things, like not allowing people to come up to the bar to order. More than likely, it, ordering will be done through an app or uh, through a website or potentially as, as simple as just texting or, uh, or WhatsApping a number that we put on the tables. And, right, and, yeah, and yeah. People, and, yeah, just to like stop people from wandering around the site, basically. Because, because it is such a big site, we don't want people just getting up and walking around we want to try and make sure that people are coming on site and sitting down on the tables and yeah not moving around too much and obviously protecting the staff as well as the customers because if people are coming up to the bars or the restaurants all the time yeah then uh, there's a lot more chance of infection but if we're if we're asking them to text it through or order through an app hopefully we'll um reduce the the risk of contamination or spreading anything. So, in, in terms of any like on the digital side of things, does Spark help with with that? Or yes, uh, I mean Spark has a good uh, uh, online social following. There's also there's a SparkYork.org. That's the main website where each individual business will have a little short profile or link through to their website right, on yeah. it as well. Um, so yeah, any any um, like digital infrastructure that's going to be implemented for how we go forward during corona that will be more or less dictated by what spark believe is the correct action for the whole site yeah um because because we all really need to work together we can't it doesn't work when we've all got a mishmash of uh, one business is accepting cash another one's not accepting cash and like all, the whole ordering system it so yeah, I believe Spark will be dictating on that side of things, which it's it's the best option really, because then no matter where you are on the site, it, it's a bit of flu- fluidity for the customer, and it's um, all, the, all everyone has the same rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, yeah, but sorry, I was going to ask what the back, like what the background of the owners of Spark um, is. Oh, Spark. Um, Sorry, Spark. I was saying Stark, wasn't that Newcastle one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Sam went to um, University of Nottingham. And then after his degree there, he came up to York and did a master's degree in international political economy. And from there, I think he went on to like some kind of young entrepreneurs. Um, he was put forward for a young entrepreneurs award and the one that so both tom and sam um won the young entrepreneurs award through the bif i believe it was tom mckenzie he went to uh, university at northumbria and he was on a like a i can't remember what it was called so it was like they were doing one year at university and then two years in industry Oh, right, okay. Did you, did you ever come across those courses? Yeah, I okay. um, It was like a business management course. Right. 
some of some kind at your at Northumbria. So yeah, so then um Tom worked at the council during his um like years in industry. So he got to know the the, the local council members pretty well. Right. And then the way that they actually met was quite a funny story. Um Tom was running a uh an Instagram page with another one of our friends from university it was called a pair of dirty pigs and they were basically just blogging about food right um and sam had this idea and i believe he was simply talking to one of his friends about it and said do you know anyone who knows much about the hospitality industry because sam sam had worked at weatherspoons whilst he was at university but that's far as his knowledge on hospitality went really Um, and then is for whatever reason he's the friend that he asked obviously knew about Tom's Instagram page. Right. At the, t- at the time, me and Tom were living together in York. All so right. so that was how Tom got a message through Sam one day. Tom went and met Sam. And then I remember the day that Tom came back and said, Oh, it's a re- this might be a really good opportunity for the both of us. Um and then through that, then Tom introduced me to Sam and that's how we all kind of started to know each other, really. Um, but yeah, so myself and Tom, we actually lived together in first year uh, of university and of second year at university. Right. Um, and then uh, I went off to BMW and he came to do his years in industry in York. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Sick, man. Well, hopefully I'll... Um be able to come come visit um your yeah. time soon yeah that's fingers crossed isn't it? yeah man. i'm just like up here like in in scotland like where i don't know anyone and i spent a whole year out of the, the country um, <laughs> yeah. and I, I just like the only people I've, i got to see were my mum and dad who i'd, I'd seen like a couple of weeks before because they came out to australia so i literally yeah. haven't seen anyone in the uk since last summer so just, like, <laughs> Dying, dying to get loud. Dying to okay. see people, yeah. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you drinking at the moment? No, I'm off the booze. Completely? Yeah, so I've been off the booze since like November last year or something. Right. How's that going? Yeah, yeah it's good. I mean, obviously, in times like this, there's no like pressures to drink or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I never set out to like not drink for six months or, or whatever. Um, I'll yeah. probably, I'll probably like start drinking again. Just like, just, I don't know, steadily. And I think I just have a bit of a new perspective on it. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what that, I mean, I, obviously it's a bit of a weird thing for me to do, but I was doing dry January right. and then like that, that, that month off owning a bar and not drinking. And it's a bit, bit of a weird thing, especially when, you've got reps coming in saying, oh, can, why don't you just taste this new gin or this new beer we've got? And I'm like, sorry, I can't. I'm doing dry January. It's like, <laughs> you're business. You earn your own bars and, you, and you're doing dry January. It's the oddest thing ever. It's like, well, I thought I'd give it a go. And yeah, it's, it's, it was a weird one. I quite enjoyed getting into the low alcohol beers and stuff. Yeah. It was, it was a, kind of a new market that I'd never even explored before and then uh, there's quite yeah it seems to be a quite fast growing market as well at the moment and uh one of the other things that recently i should have mentioned before um like because of everything that's going on 
it's given me a lot more time to actually think about the product offerings and how what I want to have on the bars. And one of the new things that I've seen dominate in like the American industry is have you seen the hard seltzers? No. So hard seltzer, it's it's basically um, alcoholic sparkling water with fruit flavouring. And uh, last in 2019, there was a company called White Claw that dominated the market, and it's gone from like a, a nothing industry to a, over a billion dollars a year industry. And right. um, so, so yesterday, um, myself and my bar supervisor. Um, he actually does a lot of home brewing himself. Yeah. So, so yesterday, uh, myself and Dave, we were on site trying to recreate our own hard seltzer. So that's one of the things that we're actually going to go into post-corona is um, creating a lot of our own products ourselves. Oh, and, sick. Yeah, and, yeah. Try, and, and trying out these new up-and-coming drinks and offerings. So... I think, uh, yeah, across the bars, there'll be a lot more of the, like, quirky and, like, uh, early adopter kind of drinks that a lot of places you won't really have seen before. So, yeah, we're going to be going into the more low-cal low beers, low-ABV beers, but also this new hard seltzer stuff. And I guess it's um, that the sort of thing that, like, with a view to if it was successful, you could sell it, you know, like... Yeah, kind yeah, of so I'm... Yeah, that's that's the hope. I mean, we've we've been speaking with a local uh, brewer who's got spare capacity um, for us to use some of their equipment, and they've got a spare canning machine and stuff like that. So, at the moment, we're doing these smaller home brews to see if we can perfect the taste and the quality, and then from there, yeah, as you say, hopefully make it into more of a, a retail product. Um, well, the the big the big the big boys that are in the market at the moment. So hard seltzer originally was taking water and then brewing up to 5%. So it's a similar pr uh, process to how you brew beer, but right. the, the ones that are on the market at the moment are taking like a base spirit and watering it down with uh, purified water. So we're doing it the more natural way of creating yeah. alcohol, um so well, yeah it's going to be an interesting little time for us to experiment and hopefully i mean yeah hopefully soon we'll see us selling our own stuff for, on the bar when we open because it gives us three weeks to perfect it at the moment yeah and um fingers crossed we'll actually come up with something that's uh tasty yeah so, <laughs> we'll yeah i think it. i yeah. think you're right in that the there's Going forward, there's probably going to be more of a market for that, that like low alcohol and low calorie. And, um, yeah, I, I think like non-alcoholic beers are, are great. I think, um, yeah, especially when you kind of compare them to like, I mean, does non-alcoholic wine exist? I don't know, but like, um, well, there, there are some stuff like I, when I was, I've had it since since practically the start of the bar and the only reason i bought it was because it came with a free kit of tonic and it was it was non-alcoholic gin okay and yeah, it basically yeah. it was basically it's basically just cordial like yeah. it is it's like i mean i understand the concept of the but it, it was just an expensive cordial realistically whereas the beer because because you get you can't get the taste of beer without making beer and so the fact that it, uh, you're getting the low, low alcohol, low cow ones, I think, yeah, it's really, 
really opened my eyes to not always having to have a, a pint that's got four percent in or whatever yeah, yeah i mean like the the whole kind of um non-alcoholic spirits like market is, is so like yeah. at first i was like that is just absolute bullshit like yeah like if like the whole idea of a spirit is that it's high alcohol um, yeah but i have kind of come around to the I, I went to like a gin and tonic festival in sydney and um yeah there was a couple of stores with like non-alcoholic um spirits on and they like my favorite cocktail well like i say used to be still is uh, like a negroni um yeah so they made like a, a non-alcoholic totally non-alcoholic negroni right um and it wasn't anywhere near as good as the real thing <laughs> yeah. but it was you know obviously like pretty close to it um yeah but their argument was you know you can you could use say you could keep the gin then just use a non-alcoholic like vermouth and campari version of campari yeah yeah. Um, or, or the other way around so you can just like you can alter the amount of alcohol that you actually have in a in a cocktail and stuff. Yeah. so yeah. When, when someone explained it to me like that I was like okay right that kind of makes sense yeah then, then there's, there's like a whole new like market of people that like essentially just making up their own spirits without without alcohol in I thought it was like and then just selling yeah. them at the same price as uh, same price as like a bottle of gin I, I was know. like I know. If you can sell that, then fair play to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, I came across this company the other day on Instagram called Three Spirit. That was it. That was what I was looking at the, the other day. Yeah. Yeah. And they've, got, they've got like three and one of them's called like Nightcap and one of them's called like... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Elixir or something. And yeah. Ivanet. And that, but and that's, I don't understand though, because they're saying that they're somehow mimicking the effects of alcohol somehow or, or or it does it doesn't just it's not just like drinking a spirit but without the alcohol it actually does give you some kind of mind or body lift or whatever or whatever they're trying to achieve with it yeah well that yeah. kind of makes sense because i think i don't know if you've ever done it but like it like i've been in a situation where, situation where like i've had like say you're at like a social event where everyone's drinking and if you yeah. have non-alcoholic beers yeah um, you you do like have like have some of the effects of like drinking alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, and I I presume that's just purely placebo. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know, and your body's going like, oh, this is beer. Like, do you remember how beer used to make you feel, and then you make. <laughs> yeah. Because obviously, if you're on like lemonades all night, then you wouldn't have any of those. Like, no, you wouldn't feel like that. But obviously, you no. have any alcohol. It's weird. So I think it's sort of more of a placebo, really. But, yeah, but, um, but that that three spirit company—they're using a lot of natural ingredients, aren't they? Like, have yeah. you tasted it then? No, I haven't tasted yeah. it. No, I've just seen it online. Right. Yeah, because I'm just looking now. It says functional spirits that make you feel good and taste amazing. Designed by plant scientists and bartenders to enhance your night from start to finish before, during, and after the party. Alcohol-free, but not pleasure-free. So, like, the marketing it is if you do get some kind of buzz from it, but it yeah. is, as you say, is that buzz just completely placebo? Well, Who knows? placebo is still a, still a real buzz, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. So, I'd, I'd be interested I'll, to try it, like... I well, I was, I was, I was, I was literally at checkout. I was going to spend sixty quid on all three bottles. And <laughs> there I was you like, go. Exactly. I was thinking, oh, I mean, I, I do want to try it just to see. 
because if if it does if it I mean if they taste nice and and everything else then why not let's try them get them on the cocktail menu well that's I mean, yeah because as soon as we do start opening again I will be going trying out the low calorie low ABV cocktails and seeing exactly how much um, how much interest we get yeah hopefully yeah uh, I, I imagine it will be pretty high because what during January um, I was marketing that we were doing all these low, low alcohol beers and whatnot and there yeah. was an up, a massive upsurge in how much we sold and we do quite often get uh, uh, people coming in asking for non-alcoholic cocktails. I mean, and at the moment, because I've not really researched too much into it, it's just uh, coming up with stuff off the top of my head. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Gone. Now that the, I've seen these spirits and whatnot, even if they are a bit extortionate, <laughs> I yeah. will be uh, l- looking to try them out. Yeah, but, I mean... I, I, maybe it'll help with the kind of like stigma around like people like, Oh, you're not drinking. Just like, well, I'm having this yeah. fancy, <laughs> fancy new thing. Yeah. You know, it's got like, I don't know, some sort of mushroom in it that makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, yeah. But some of the uh, ingredients in it. Cause I think the, the two of them have like contain caffeine. One of them maybe like, like quite high level of caffeine or something. And then one of them's called like nightcap. So it's like, Obviously, yeah, yeah. Great. So obviously, you yeah, know, caffeine just makes people feel good, doesn't it? So, yeah. But I'm I'm looking at the ingredients here, and there's a load of ingredients I would not even know how to pronounce. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's all stuff you know when you see it. It's like everything good's found in the rainforest, and it yeah. looks like all all these ingredients are in the rainforest. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely gonna get on the uh, on that hype and see what it's like. Yeah. And I'll yeah, I'll let you know. Even just stuff like kombucha as well. Like mm. in Australia, that's huge. Uh, cool man. Mate, yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to shoot off because I need to get down to Spark and speak to this graffiti artist and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, thanks for um thanks for your time, man. It was good to catch no up. No worries. You too. And like I say, hopefully I'll hopefully I'll be able to come visit York some sometime in the future. But come visit England yeah. in general. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Welcome to another episode of Flipside Podcast. Um, this episode, we catch up uh, with one of my old friends, Adam Johnson. Um, so, uh, so Adam's basically moved back to his hometown of York and set up a few bars uh, within uh, Spark, which is uh, similar to like Box Park in London or Stack in Newcastle. Um, so a kind of collection of shipping container units uh, with all kind of like local businesses, um, food and drink uh, outlets, etc. So uh, yeah, enjoyed this one with Adam. Uh, we kind of cover um, uh, his journey um kind of the challenges along the way as always um how he kind of was able to make decisions and use his, his support network um and also kind of the inspiration behind um each of the kind of different concepts that he's come up with um and how kind of using sort of passions of his um and sort of integrating that into the business um he kind of feels that that's um you know really good a way of kind of motivating yourself um in order to move forward 
Alrighty. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe um, so you can get the episode uh, automatically sent each week. And otherwise, uh, hit us up on Instagram at FlipsidePod um, and let us know uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. Or just hit us up for a chat. All right. Enjoy. Boosh. <laughs>